Well, welcome to our Sunday morning here at 140 Clark Street or online if that's where you're joining us. My name is Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church and we are so pleased that you are here with us. We've been working our way through the book of Acts and we are now at uh, approaching the end of chapter 4. So if you have a Bible or maybe on your apps or phones or whatever it might be, um, you might want to turn to Acts and chapter 4. And I'm going to do a quick recap in the style of so many of these TV shows these days, previously in the book of Acts. This is what's happened so far. Jesus has ascended to heaven, and the Holy Spirit has descended and filled the believers who were waiting for the Spirit in the house, as Jesus asked them to. The believers spill out onto the streets in Jerusalem, and Peter preaches to the crowd who were gathered, and the crowd are just kind of thinking, what on earth is going on? These guys look as though they're drunk. Peter says, no, 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 we're not drunk. It's nine in the morning, but it's the Spirit of God which is filling us and uh, making us speaking all these different languages that people are hearing. The crowd gathers. Peter preaches the gospel to them about Jesus. He tells them about how Jesus was killed, but how he died for their sin, and how if they repented and be baptized, they would be filled with the Spirit themselves. And that happens. Many, many people, 3,000 even in that day, get filled with the Spirit, get saved, and church starts to gather in homes and in the temple courtyards, and things keep happening. One day, a lame man is healed by God as Peter and John are heading into the temple. And again, this guy's been lame for years, so a crowd gather, and it's another opportunity for Peter to preach the gospel uh, to them. And many, again, come to salvation in Jesus. However, this time, trouble is brewing, and Peter and John are arrested by the Jewish authorities, and they are told, look, you need to stop speaking and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. To which Peter and John say, we can't help it. The, you know, it's, it's kind of in us. <laughs> it's coming out and we can't do anything about it. Could have been a risky strategy on their part. Well, they couldn't do anything about it. But they knew Jesus had been killed and sent to death by these same authorities. Um, and yet, here they are speaking and teaching the name of Jesus. They get sent home by the authorities because they just really didn't know what to do about it. And so Peter and John go back to their believing friends and they tell them everything that happened. And that's where we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up in verse 23 uh, of chapter 4 and read through to the end of the chapter. It says this, On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouths of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so to start off with this morning, we're just going to go back and look at that passage, verses 23 uh, through to through to 31. It's the same passage that Joe spoke on last week, but I really felt that God wanted to highlight a few things again that Joe said. It wasn't that Joe did a, a bad job, and I'm thinking I'll do a better job for him. It was a great message that Joe preached last week, and if you didn't hear it, I encourage you to check it out online at christcentral.ca or um, at our YouTube channel as well. Okay, so the first thing that Peter and John do when they are threatened by the authorities is they go to their friends and they raise their voices in prayer to God. They knew where to go when they were in trouble and they had friends who were going to stand with them and pray. And it must have been so encouragement, encouraging for Peter and John to come out of this situation where they thought, what is going to happen here and they get released, and they know they've got a community of believers to go back to who are going to stand with them and pray. The Christian life isn't one that is meant to be lived alone. So often we'll go out and we'll have things that we do. You know, we go out in our daily lives, and we're, we're kind of individuals there or in, in families. But when trouble comes, God doesn't intend to keep us on our own. He intends to join us together with a church family. It's very easy for us to feel isolated or alone, but that's why God saved us and added us to the church, not just so we have a relationship with him, so that we have relationship with each other as well, because the church is where we will find love and encouragement and support and strength and true friendship and prayer and the Spirit of God powerfully at work in us. You know, we have an enemy. The Bible tells us that we have an enemy, the devil. He works in many different ways. He works through different people. But one of the things that the enemy would love to do, one of his greatest tactics, is to isolate us, to separate us off from other believers, from others in the church, so that we have nobody to stand with us, so that we're completely alone when tough times come, as they will. It's just the same as we see in nature. The Bible describes the enemy as a like, a, like a lion prowling around, seeking someone to devour. I found a, a video clip online this week of a pride of lions seeking something to devour, seeking buffalo to devour. This was taken uh, on, in Kruger National Park in South Africa just by someone who was on a, you know, a safari game drive, and they videoed what happened. Now, I'm going to, because we've got some children here, I'm going to stop it before it gets uh, too nasty, but you'll see what happens when this buffalo gets itself separated off from the crowd. Here they go. 
Okay, sit, sit still, eh? Sit still. Sit still. Sit. Oh, they've missed her. They've missed her. Okay, okay everyone sit still, hey? Sit very, very still. They're going to come and clap this one. Sit still, sit still. Sit still. All right. <laughs> and the other lions come in afterwards and pin it down, and that's the end of that buffalo. Um, interesting, though, that ranger, if you listen to what he was saying, and it, maybe, maybe it was difficult to hear, um, I had the, uh, the, the advantage of being able to speak to Robin, who's from South Africa, and she told me what he was saying, because I, I couldn't quite hear what the, what the ranger was saying, but he, he quickly saw that there was one isolated, and he knew exactly what was going to happen. He actually said, they're going to come and club this one. Or, or they're going to come and get him. <laughs> he knew the lions were going to come after that one because they'd been isolated. And he was like saying, don't move, because otherwise they're coming for you as well. Um, <laughs> but that, that buffalo had got isolated. And it was very, very vulnerable. You know, it's the same thing for us. If we get ourselves isolated, if we get ourselves separated off, from the church, if we get ourselves separate from other believers, when difficulties come, when attack comes, we are completely alone and vulnerable. And just in the same way that that guy who was taking the people around the game reserve, that, that he knew what was coming, actually as pastors of the church here, we can see things play out sometimes. We know what is coming. When someone gets separated out, when they get isolated, maybe out of decisions that people have made, whatever it is, actually we can get very concerned for them because we know when the enemy attacks, those people are very vulnerable and we've seen it happen before. If we ever get in touch with you and say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. Hey, how are you doing? It's not because we're being intrusive or nosy. We're concerned for your well-being because we know we need to be together as part of the church community. And that doesn't just mean attending on Sundays or watching online, although that is important for our feeding. Actually, we need to be connected to other people around us who are going to stand with us, encourage us, and pray. It's not an easy time for that to happen right now. We're not allowed to spend too much time in each other's presence. But... There are ways that we can still do it online, and I would encourage each one of us to make sure we have somewhere where we are connected in with other believers. It doesn't need to be a lot. It doesn't need to be a lot of other people, but people who you know you can go to and you can say, I need you to stand with me. I need you to pray with me. I need you to encourage me right now because we all go through those times. So it might be a life group. And we have a lot of online life groups that you can be part of. We've got prayer times that we can gather. And that's a bit of community as well, either on Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, Wednesday noon times. There might be a group that you serve in like Ignite or Kids Club or Welcome Team. Just some people who you see regularly who you can get to know and you can say, hey, can you stand with me? Alpha Team, whatever it might be, but don't 
be isolated. I would just strongly encourage us. We need to be aware of how vulnerable we will be and just how supported we can be when we have others standing with us. So we do see the believers praying for Peter and John. And Joe said this last week, but I just want to highlight it again. They didn't pray the prayer that you would have expected them to pray. They didn't pray, God, take away this persecution. They didn't pray that God would punish and judge the religious leaders. They didn't pray any of that. What they prayed was that Peter and John would be able to speak with more boldness, and they prayed for more healings and signs and wonders to take place. Sometimes the loving and godly thing to pray for people isn't that the trial they're going through is taken away, but instead we pray for the ability to deal with that trial. We pray that God will work in us during those trials uh, and the things that we're going through. They didn't pray there would be a change of circumstances. They prayed for a change inside Peter and John, and in fact, in all of them. Because our, our struggles and our trials are the times when God molds us and changes us and he refines us like gold in the fire. And I, I just love how we were singing that song this morning, Another in the Fire. You know, Angela didn't know where I was going with this passage because I didn't really. <laughs> um, but I just love how she led us in that song about rejoicing in trials and how there's Jesus in the fire with us. And that fire is a refining fire. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7 says, in this you rejoice greatly. I think the, the, the song says, I'll, I'll find the joy in the, the joy in every battle. You know, the joy in every battle. Yeah, it's from this verse. First Peter 1. In this you rejoice greatly, for though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer all kinds of grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. God's doing something in us when we're in the fire. He is. And so, Let's not rush to pray, God, take this trial away from people. Because God's saying, I want to do something through this trial. Let's stand with people. Let's pray with them. Let's say, God, help them withstand this for as long as you deem it necessary. But God, help them. Be with them. Fill them with your spirit. Give them boldness and courage and power and all of those things. That's what we pray for people. They also prayed that God would do signs and wonders. Why did they pray God to do signs and wonders. Well, I believe there's two reasons for God to heal people and, and do signs and wonders and how they're praying that. Firstly, it's a confirmation to unbelievers that God's Word is real. We saw that with the, with the lame guy. It was like, wow, this guy has been healed. He's been 40 years. He's been lame, and suddenly he's, he's healed, and it says they took note that Peter and John had been with Jesus. It's like, oh, okay, people are taking note, and Peter's preaching in the name of Jesus. So sometimes it opens up conversations. It opens up the ability to preach and share the good news about Jesus Christ. I've had that experience a number of times where uh, I've prayed for people to be healed who don't know God. They've been healed, and then they've, so, they've kind of gone, wow, wow, how did that happen? And I've been able to tell them about Jesus. Now, sometimes they've not wanted to know about Jesus, even though he's healed them. 
which kind of blows my mind. I'm like, why would you not want to know about this God who's just healed you? But people's sinfulness actually stops them from doing that sometimes, their hard-heartedness. But many people are interested and open to finding out more about Jesus because God does a miracle in their life. So that's one reason for signs and wonders and healings. Another reason, actually, is because it just encourages us as a church that God is with us, that God is powerfully with us, especially when we're going through these difficult times. When Jesus was ministering, um, John the Baptist, who'd been the one who said, hey, there's someone coming after me, Jesus, who is the Messiah. He's the one who you should be worshiping, and he's the, he's the one with, who's been promised. But then John the Baptist went through a trial. He went through a difficult time. He got arrested by Herod. He got thrown in prison, and he was never going to come out of prison. That's where he ended his life. But while he's in prison, he's suddenly like beginning to doubt. He's doubting even what he said himself. He sends his disciples to Jesus and says, are you really the one? Are you really who I thought you were? And Jesus' answer is this. Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. Good news is being proclaimed to the poor. John's not seeing any of that. John's seeing the inside of a prison cell. And he's like, has God left me? And the encouragement that Jesus gave is, look, all these miracles are happening. All these things that show the signs that the Messiah is here are happening. Be encouraged. God is with you. Even though the times for John were very, very difficult. God moving powerfully in miracles and in healings and in signs and wonders hugely encourages the church. And I know for myself, I've been a Christian now uh, since 1989. And uh, in those years, early on in those years, I saw many, many people saved. There was a bit of a revival going on at university where I was. I just thought it was normal. Pretty much everyone you mentioned the gospel to got saved. And it was amazing. But I just thought that was, that was it. That was my experience. I got saved the first time I really heard the gospel, and I thought everyone would. And, and for a while, everyone did. And it was amazing, encouraging. God's at work. I went through other times in my Christian life where God moved very powerfully in healings. And like everyone we prayed for was getting healed of some really major things. And I remember specifically a period of time. It was only six weeks. There was a six-week period where like in our church, everyone was getting healed. It was so encouraging and so exciting. I remember a number of years that we went through where God's Holy Spirit was moving powerfully, and I think that was happening across the world. It probably started in Toronto, but it was happening all across the world. You, many of you will have known some of that as well. You used to walk into a church meeting, and people were worshiping, and you would be overcome by the presence of God. People couldn't stand up sometimes. People were, were shaking because of God's presence. You could just feel God's presence. And it was so encouraging, so encouraging. And I know some of you here will have had similar experiences yourself. But I also would imagine that some of us here are thinking, I've never known any of that. I've never known times when God's really moved powerfully in healing. I've never known the Holy Spirit move in the way that it's talked about. I've never really known that many people get saved when I've talked to them. They actually don't seem to really want to know. And that can affect us in the other way. 
that can mean that our level of passion and excitement and our commitment to God can kind of be a little down here because we're like, well, I'm reading things in the book of Acts and in the Bible, but I'm not really seeing it in my life. I'm not really seeing it in reality. And that can be a difficult time, you know, and we're all going, I believe we're all going through a time like that right now. I believe that there's, I, I was saying on Thursday, wasn't I? I, I? I believe that we're going through something that is a bit of a winter season right now. Now, you could say, well, we are in winter, but just in terms of church life and in terms of what's going on in society, this last 12 months has been really hard, especially. I think it's very difficult for us when we can't meet the way we want to. It's very difficult that we can't fully express our worship in the way that we would love to. And we, we kind of go with it all, but it's just difficult. And I think we can own that. We can own that it's difficult. We can own that we're, we just long for that presence of God that we see, but maybe we're not, we've not experienced that. We've not known that for some time. How encouraging this morning, though, that we get a word saying, I believe that spring is coming. I believe that spring is coming. That encourages us, doesn't it? Together, corporately. We can hold on to it. We can believe for it. We can pray for it. And I think that's what we need to do. We can come before God and we can say, look, here's where we're at, but God, you can change this. You can change this season in an instant. You can change and you can start healing people. Stretch out your hand and heal many. Stretch out your hand, God, and do miracles in this place. We want to see that. And the believers prayed for that. And I believe God's encouraging us as well to pray for that. Now, the reality is we're not going to feel like praying for that when we're not experiencing it. It's a bit of a catch-22 situation. You know, we're kind of like, oh, it's hard work. And so when you hear there's another meeting, come and come to a prayer meeting, inside, in our flesh, we can feel, I don't really want to. I'm just tired. I just want to watch TV. I want to put a movie on. I want to do whatever. I'll just surf the internet. Whatever it might be. But our flesh doesn't want us to do that. So Joe encouraged us in prayer last week, and we had a prayer time online uh, that evening, and to be honest, we didn't really get any or many more people than usually show up to that prayer meeting. And listen, this isn't a rebuke to the church because it is difficult. I'm not rebuking you. You don't need heaviness. You don't need, but I do want to encourage us. I do want to encourage us to say, look, as we pray, as we call on God, as we say, Lord, stretch out your hand. Will you do these things? Will you save people? Will you heal people? Will you move powerfully by your spirit? I believe God will. And so we have to encourage ourselves. We have to encourage each other. We can do it with each other. Hey, are you going to tag tonight? That person might not have thought about going to tag tonight. You might have thought you probably weren't going to go. But I tell you what, by you asking someone else if they're going, you're kind of committing yourself to going, and you might be encouraging them to go. So you may end up both going. And we get blessed even when we come to God in prayer. We had a prayer meeting here the other week, and I think it was Molly said, you know, we were, we were chatting at the start, and it was, it, it was a group of us chatting around at a distance at the start, and we were 
we were saying it was pretty discouraging. We were all discouraged that evening. And we prayed for an hour. And at the end, Molly spoke, and I think it was the truth for us all. She said, do you know what? I didn't want to come here tonight. And I was low, and I didn't want to pray. But I've come out, and I'm feeling encouraged and strengthened, and God's on the move. That's what happens. But we have to put ourselves in that position. So that's what they did here. All the, all the people in the meeting, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak the word of God boldly. We need to keep asking to be filled with the Spirit as well. It's just like when you gas up your car. You can't just gas up your car and let it go forever. It won't go forever. It needs gassing up again. We need to keep asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit because, because we can be encouraged in a meeting one day and the next day we wake up and something's happened and we can be discouraged again. We need God's Spirit. We can pray for that for ourselves. We can pray for that for each other as well. All right. Well, those are, those are some of the things that we, we did touch on last week. The last 10 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes, I just want to look at some of the outworkings of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we saw when we were in Acts 2, we saw some of those outworkings of being filled with the Spirit. Um, we saw uh, a devotion to preaching. We saw and teaching of the apostles. We saw them praising God. We saw the believers praying. We saw communion happening. But here in Acts 4, Luke's focusing on one particular aspect of living a Spirit-filled life. And that is how we view our possessions, and it's to do with our generosity. It says, no one claimed that any of his, their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. So when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we display a generosity and a generous spirit towards others. And it's not surprising because God is a generous God. God is a giving God. So when His Spirit fills us, we're giving and we're generous. That's what we become. So many times in the Bible we can see how giving and generous God is. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Paul talks in Philippians, um, and remember, he's in prison when he's, he's writing this, and he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Paul's confident that God's going to supply the Philippians every need. And at the start of the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians, he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God is a giving God. He's so full of generosity towards us. And as we receive blessing from Him, and as our needs are supplied by Him, we can respond by being generous to others. And that's what we see happening in the book of Acts. And it's amazing, really. It says there were no needy persons among them. Well, it wasn't because it, it was just the rich people who were getting saved. It was because God was doing something in the lives of people who had resource and wealth, and they were actually distributing that and giving to people who didn't have. It's very counter-cultural. But it, it's not as though it was imposed on them. It's not that the apostles said to people when they got saved, okay, now everyone has to turn in all of their possessions and property. We're just going to have this common pot. We're going to put everything together, all our land, all our buildings, everything, all of our money, and we're just going to share it all out equally. That's called communism. 
And that's not what the apostles were doing. That's not what God was doing. It's clear that people continued to own their own land and homes because they would meet in them, and they still had homes to sell and property to sell. It says, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to those who had need. So people who owned property, and they still did, it would come a time when they feel, oh, I, I, I want to sell this now, and I'm going to give the money to the apostles that's going to bless other people. And, and someone would sell it, but someone would, would keep theirs for, for that point, and then maybe they'll sell something later on. It was all in response to what God was doing. It wasn't imposed. People had the freedom to do what they wanted to do with their wealth. We'll come on to seeing a, a different attitude towards that later on. But we see in chapter 5, where we look at Ananias and Sapphira, which is coming up soon. That's not an overly encouraging passage about money uh, and giving. But we see there that Peter talks to them and he says, look, the land that you had, because they do the same thing as Barnabas, the land that you had was yours. You could keep it or you could sell it. You could do whatever you wanted with it. Even when you sold it and you got some money, you could do whatever you want with that money. It's yours to do it, but, but, but you lied about it. I'll not run too far ahead because I'm getting into Joe's next message. But people had the ability to do whatever they wanted with it. It wasn't imposed. It wasn't ordered. They had a choice. But it was a direct response to the grace of God powerfully at work in them. Look at verse 33. It says, with great power, the apostles testified to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. Why was there no needy persons? Because God's grace was at work. It was God at work, and God's grace is a grace that gives what we don't deserve. Well, what do we deserve? Well, we deserve wrath. That's what we deserve. But yet, Jesus dying on the cross, he takes that wrath from us. He takes the wrath that should have been on us, and he takes it on himself. And so God says, I'm not giving you what you deserve. And in fact, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you a family of people together. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the joy of the Lord. I'm going to give you all of these different gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. I'm going to give. And it's God's grace at work. And what happens is that the people are like, wow, look at all this that God is giving us. And they start to give themselves. That's what was at work. That's why there was no needy persons among them. When God blesses us powerfully, we end up blessing other people powerfully. That's just what happens. And it might be any kind of situation. You know, there was, there was widows, we find out in Acts chapter 6, who are getting distributed food because they can't earn themselves. People are supporting them. People are giving the money. The apostles are distributing it. There's famines that come up soon in, uh, in the book of Acts, and we see that there's collections taken up and people giving, the Philippian church actually giving more than they were able to give. It, that's what happens when the grace of God's at work in us. And that can be what happens with us as well. There doesn't seem to have been any no-go areas for, for giving. It's not like, I'm going to hold on to this money I'm going to hold on to this land. I'm going to hold on to this property because I've worked so hard for it and it's mine and I deserve it and God, you're not touching that. 
That was the issue with the rich ruler, wasn't it, who came and said, oh, Jesus, I keep all of the commandments, and what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus saw his heart and said, okay, you just need to sell all that you have and give to the poor. In other words, is God really, is God really at work in your life? Can you do that? He said, no, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it because he'd not got hold of the grace of God. And he had no-go areas. Do we have no-go areas in our life? God wants to remind us everything was his in the first place. Everything we have comes from him. All the blessings that we have, our family, our friends, our money, our job, our homes, it's all from him. It's all from him. King David recognizes it in First Chronicles chapter 29. He They've just had a big offering for the temple, and people have given amazingly generously to build the temple. And uh, David has as well. And he comes and he prays to God, and he says this prayer. He prays, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty. Everything in heaven and on earth is yours. And then he goes on to say, um, and who am I, and who are these your people um, that we might be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from your hand. We've only given you what comes from your hand. Everything comes from you. So how can we be this generous? We can be this generous because we've seen that it's all come from you in the first place. And we know that as we give back, you're not going to stop being generous, God, because it's in your nature to be generous. So you'll pour out more blessing on us. That's what God does. When we don't believe that, when we start to think, oh, we've got to hold on to this, got to hold on to this, we're actually not trusting that God is a giving God that he's a generous God. He'll keep giving. He'll give all of our lives. There's a man here who got hold of that, Joseph. Joseph, he sells a field that he's bought. He brings it, the money to the apostles. He puts it at their feet. It's completely his choice. The apostles love it. They give him a nickname. They give him a nickname. They call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And you can imagine how they would have just loved seeing Barnabas' generosity. You know, he's like, oh, what a guy. It's obviously probably not the first time he's done something like this because they've given him that nickname and other people are doing it as well. So, you know, maybe he's coming next time and he's, he's given his car to someone or his whatever he drives, his, uh, his oxen. Let's <laughs> hope it's not a buffalo. Um, <laughs> whatever it was. He wasn't one of the apostles. It's not like he, at that point, was one of the leaders. Now, he becomes a leader. He may well have just come to faith on the day of Pentecost or after that, but God is powerfully at work in him. He's understood what God's about, and he's all in. And we see him again in Acts chapter 11, and he, he's sent from Jerusalem to Antioch to go and see what God's doing among the Gentiles, and, uh, and he, he's loving it. And then, he's, and then he, he goes and he, he finds Saul, Paul, he goes and finds him. Now, Paul's got saved, but he's like out somewhere. God's got him aside. God's got work for Paul to do. Paul is understandably a little nervous because every time Paul goes near someone, they're all scared of him because he used to kill them. So they're all like, I'm, not, I'm a bit nervous about this guy. <laughs> I don't feel he, we should have him in our meetings. Barnabas is like, nah, it's fine. Barnabas goes and gets Paul, and he, he says, Paul, come on. You've got work to do. God's given you work to do. You're going you're to go to the Gentiles. You're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He goes with him as an apostle to the Gentiles. 
It's fascinating. You read it. It starts off, Barnabas talks about Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. After a while, he's like, okay, you're going to grow in your gifting. It's Paul and Barnabas. Oh, Paul's the lead guy now. Barnabas is just encouraging, encouraging, encouraging. Listen, he's a great encourager. He's a great leader in the early church. This is where we see him first. What's he doing? He's just being generous. He's being generous. He's reflecting the grace of God. He's using the gifts that he's been given. So he lays the money at the sale of his land and, uh, and property at the apostles' feet. People are taking their hands off it. They're saying, okay, we're selling it and we're giving it and we're taking our hands off it. And that's a biblical model. That's a biblical model. It's one that we try and follow as well. Now, obviously, we need safeguards and balances and checks and we have systems in place. But basically, when people give to the church, what we encourage is to say, here's our giving, here's our gift, and we're taking our hands off it and trusting that there are leaders who God has put in place who are going to decide how that money is going to be spent. Now, there's a process and there's consultation and discussion. So even last week, when we were standing here at the uh, vision evening, Joe was saying, here, here's some things that we've got going on. People are asking us about our building. Look, we want to hear from you. We want to hear from God. What do you think? You know, we get people involved. Um, But there's a principle for any of us who give to say, I'm going to take my hands off it now and I'm going to trust that this is going to be administered in the way that God wants it to be administered. It's a biblical thing. So, as God is powerfully at work in us, we should expect to see generosity be right at the forefront of what is happening in church. We should expect to see people being generous towards others in their life groups or their circle of believers. We should expect people to see uh, to be very generous in their giving to the church. And, you know, we do see generosity. We were so encouraged this year, uh, and again, said on Thursday evening, the finances were, even in a tough year of COVID, giving was up from the previous year. Uh, you know, we, we're getting, I think, about $27,000 a month in giving. And this isn't a huge church. That's a lot of money. So bless you, but people are getting hold of it. We want to pray that more and more of us get hold of it, not so that we can hoard money, so that we can use it to bless others. And there's no demands. There's a freedom of what God is putting on your hearts. Please know that. We're not imposing anything. There's no pressure. It's a response to the grace of God. So when we say, as we did on Thursday, there's a gift day coming up, we're going to use that gift day to renovate as part of the renovations of this building, to 18th and 25th of April, what we don't want for people to do is just feel, oh, now there's an expectation, there's a heaviness. Listen, none of us elders know who gives what. I don't know how much any of you give or whether you give at all. I don't know. I don't want to know. But what I do want to encourage us in is to pursue God. Because as we pursue God, it will just happen. It will just happen naturally. And we can pray to God and we can say, come on, God, we need you to work here. The the renovations are are estimated at $1.5 million. Who knows if that's going to be accurate or not. But we can look at that figure and we can go, whoa, that's way beyond us. Yeah, it is. Unless God gets hold of our hearts. I mean, God can do it in lots of different ways. But one of the ways God wants to do it, I don't think it's just from outside, because God wants to get hold of our hearts. 
He wants us to understand his grace. He wants us to understand he's a giving God. And then he wants us to pour that out. And he wants to give again and he wants us to pour it out. And it's exciting. It's exciting. We want to pray that God's grace is powerfully evident amongst us. We want to pray that God fills us again and again with his Holy Spirit. And as we do that, we believe that the church that we are will more and more resemble this early church in Jerusalem. There won't be a disconnect. We'll see God healing. We'll see God moving in power. We'll see God moving in generosity. And we'll be a generous people ourselves. And we'll see many, many people saved in this city and across all of Canada and into the world. So why don't we sing, well, listen, (laughs) as Angela and the band sing. We can engage in worship about the goodness of God to us. I'm just going to pray. Why don't we stand together? We'll pray as Angela gets set up. Father God, I thank you for your goodness towards us. Lord God, we want to know more of that. And I want to pray today for anyone here or online who has heard messages about generosity and giving before and has gone away with a heaviness and a burden and just a feeling of, oh, there's this pressure, there's this expectation. God, I thank you that that's not what you do. You're a God who does not give us what we deserve. You don't come with the fist. You don't come heavy-handed. You come with grace. You come with forgiveness. You come with mercy. And then you pour out your blessings upon us. And I pray we'll receive that in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we'll pursue you and we'll pursue your Holy Spirit filling us, not fearfully because we feel, oh, and then God's going to ask me for this but because we say we just want to know more of you and we want you to change us and we want you to change us in, the, in these things and we want you to change us and refine us in the fire and the trials that we're going through. So we pray it all today in Jesus' name. Amen.